One of my goals with the Secret Podcast is to make the supernatural more natural and the paranormal more normal. These are events and occurrences that happen as a part of our natural and normal everyday lives. We've just been conditioned to ignore them and deny their existence. Well, it's time to undo that conditioning. I'm proud to announce that Ray Davis and I of Sixth Sense Media have created our own Sixth Sense Media clothing line. We can't always go up to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about disclosure and UFOs and aliens on the earth? But you can wear one of our Disclosure Now t-shirts and get people's attention. Start the conversation or connect with another like-minded person who sees your shirt. If you're a truth seeker or someone looking to enact positive change in the world, why not wear it with pride? Connect with other like-minded truth seekers and become the change you want to be and see in this world. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store tab, and become the change you were born to inspire. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store. Welcome to Truth Seekers. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Secret Podcast with Sixth Sense Media. It's the show that challenges reality, questions at which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change. Making the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. That's exactly what we aim to do as we go deep down the rabbit hole of Gnosis and Gnosticism this evening. We're going to look at the Gospel of Philip and some other excerpts from the Nag Hammadi Library, the Gnostic Gnostic texts that were uh, all but destroyed over 2,000 years ago as the uh, Bible was being rewritten. You know, in my opinion, in my studying of the Gnostic texts, I think that it was one of the greatest acts of revolution. I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm an amateur researcher here, my friends. If you've been with me this long, though, you understand my stance and where I'm at. I always feel I have to give that caveat. But from my perspective, what I'm seeing about who the Gnostics were, I feel as if they knew something. Something of such great importance. And they were being systematically killed for it because this secret is the greatest secret known to our entire species, and it's been repressed. So where does that leave us? We find ourselves lost, confused, and although desperate, we feel optimistic because we know, like Morpheus says at the beginning of every podcast, like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. It's this feeling that has brought you to me. There is a question, there's an uneasiness that's buried deep within us, and I believe there's a reason for that. It's this internal sense of knowing, this yearning to connect with the truth. Who are we? Where did we come from? What happened? What is our purpose and what kind of manipulation has happened to us as a, as a species collectively? Were we created in the divine image to be the caretakers of this garden? Or were we created in a lab as a slave race? 
or is it somewhere in between or is it nothing like that whatsoever but i feel that it's important to understand that and i feel that our ancient ancestors had an understanding of this and they tried to preserve that knowledge and then somewhere along the line someone or something came in and started erasing and rewriting our history and now we're confused and we don't know we don't we have no real identity as a species and instead we fight amongst ourselves over things like religion and politics and sexual orientation we're continually divided when we don't have to be there is hope there is love we just had another terrorist attack in New Zealand I'm sorry to open the show with this, but obviously very sad for what's happened, and yet it's being used once again to divide us. I saw some heat coming from Senator Fraser Anning, uh, the senator for Queensland, Queensland out, of, uh, out of Australia. And she said some things that were concerning. I'm going to read this, uh, this letter that she put out. It says, speaking following reports of multiple shootings at two mosques in New Zealand earlier today, Senator Fraser Anning has responded with strong condemnation. I'm utterly opposed to any form of violence within our community, and I totally condemn the actions of the gunman, he said. However, whilst this kind of violence, vigilante, vigilante, I can't even say the word, vigilantism can never be justified, what it highlights is the growing fear within our community, both in Australia and New Zealand, to the increasing Muslim presence. As always, left-wing politicians and the media will rush to claim that the causes of today's shootings lie with gun laws to those who hold the nationalist views. But this is all cliched nonsense. The real cause of bloodshed on New Zealand streets today is the immigration program which allowed Muslim fanatics to migrate to the New Zealand in the first place. Let us be clear, while Muslims have been great victims today, Usually they are the perpetrators. Worldwide, Muslims are killing people in the name of their faith on an industrial scale. Now, that statement is very, it's definitely not politically correct. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. That statement scares me, and I think this gets worse. I don't think that's a productive statement to make. You're demonizing an entire race of people. Muslim extremism has been used as a tool to dismantle our way of life. But you can't blanket the Muslim people that way. And I'm not making that statement. I'm saying extremism. I'm making a clear distinction. People who use the Muslim faith to commit acts of terror the same as people who use the Christian or the Jewish faith to commit acts of terror are being used to divide. But let's continue on. Let us be clear. Uh, we read that. The entire religion of Islam is simply the violent ideology of a 6th century despot masquerading as a religious leader which justifies endless war against anyone who opposes it and calls for the murder of unbelievers and apostates. Oh my goodness. This is a political head basically saying your religion is worthless. I can't. That rhetoric scares me. 
in, in a world, and we're not in a world of religious freedom. And this isn't not this. This is Australia, not America. But I don't think a poly, I don't think anybody should speak this way. <clears throat> the truth is that Islam is not like any other faith. It is religious equivalent of fascism. And just because the followers of this savage belief were not the killers in this instance, does not make them blameless. He's blaming the Muslim people. He's telling, having them hold some culpability for this shooting. As we read in Matthew 26, 52, so here we go. Now we're going to preach your own faith. All they, all they take, <clears throat> all they that take the sword shall, shall perish by the sword. And those who follow a violent religion that calls on them to murder us cannot be too surprised when someone takes them at their word and responds in kind, Senator Anning concluded. All right, buddy. Like we're not even going to talk about the sex scandals going on in the Catholic Church right now, okay? I'm not bashing religion. I'm just this is such a hypocritical, dangerous statement because what's happening and please I meant no offense to anybody. I look, look how scared I am to even talk about something like this. But we need we need to be able to have a conversation. Ray Ray wrote a I'll put it in quotes risky article uh, talking about Zionism and the Zionist movement because we're afraid to talk about religion because we're afraid to be labeled. But we need to be able to have an honest and open discussion <clears throat> to understand our feelings and perceptions, to have our questions answered, and to find a common ground. We need to be able to have that. I, I think this, what this person said here is appalling. I honestly do. But they're just going, going by the playbook here. Our religions, our belief systems are used as a tool to divide us amongst ourselves. So we're not focused on those bigger questions. We're focused on where do we come from as long as we're looking within the texts that our religious doctrine gives us. We're focused on who created us and why are we here as long as it adheres to what our religious texts gave us. When you're able to step outside of that belief system, you're now faced with infinite possibility. You're now faced with the possibility of staring at the truth. The problem is the truth may terrify you. And I'm not claiming to know the truth. What I am saying is that in my exploration of possibilities of truth, those answers have been quite scary, quite concerning, but also liberating. But freedom is dangerous, friends. Freedom is scary. You see, it's, it's in our ignorance that we feel safe sometimes. It's in our ignorance that we feel comfort. And when you step outside that safety of your, of your dogmas and your belief systems, it's just this naked truth. And the Gnostics talk about this a little bit. And I want, to, I want to share some of that when I get to it. But I've got something else in the news that I want to share that goes off the deep end a little bit. But it's, uh, it's from Technology Review. Uh, and it's really, uh, it ties into a lot of the stuff that we talk about. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just bumped my microphone, sorry. But it's called, A Quantum Experiment Suggests There's No Such Thing as Objective Reality. Does that sound familiar? Physicists have long suspected that quantum mechanics allows two observers to experience different, conflicting realities. Now they've performed the first experiment 
that proves it. So we're talking alternate realities, multiverse, parallel worlds. I think this is the, a study that is the intro to that. And I had a thought, and I need to share it right now. And I believe it was inspired by this. <clears throat> right now, there's there's other realities that exist in our current reality that we access. Let's look at the internet. The internet is its own universe right now. Just hear me out for a second. <clears throat> There's data all around us. And for the most, we can't just sit here and go, I'm going to access Google. Let me close my eyes. Let me, uh, okay, I did the search. We, we're not Trinity from the Matrix yet getting a download. Not with this internet that we have anyway. We know there's our own spiritual downloads that we get. I got to be careful. I'm stepping through landmines here. But we can't access the internet that we use through our browsers. We can't just access that yet. We haven't been uploaded with enough nanotech or it hasn't been switched on yet. So in order to access that, we need some kind of a device. We need a computer or we need a smartphone that then gives us a window into that data stream into that reality because it has a signal, a Wi-Fi signal, a frequency that it taps into and it opens this window on this hardware that we have that allows us to now view and navigate that system. Where am I going with this? There's a movie that came out in the la within the last two years called Valerian. Really interesting movie. It was made by, I believe, the people that made The Fifth Element who were also very insightful, talk about some Gnostic stuff in there as well. But there's a scene where they're shopping, and you see these people, and they're just in the middle of the desert, but they put on these goggles, and these goggles then take them to another parallel universe. Because what the goggles did was they shifted the frequency. They changed, they, they, they created a window into the other world. Where am I going with this? I think we're going to... If it doesn't exist already, but we're uh, someday, if we survive long enough, I don't see why if these parallel worlds exist and there's actual conscious, intelligent life just like us, just doing different things that exists in these worlds, we'll be able to create devices where at first we'll be able to turn it on and see that world because it's just data. It's just a signal or a frequency. So you'll be able to have something like your smartphone that will create a window into that world. And I suspect, like the movie Valerian, eventually you'll have some kind of technology that will be able to reach into that world and take something out or step into that world and experience it. I think that technology will eventually come about. I think we have that ability naturally if we go back to our discussions with with Shelly, the astral projection avatar, but that's a whole different thing. But I needed to share that. I felt I needed to get that out um, because I think it's important. Different realities exist around us already. It's just not what we think of when we think of a parallel world. But the Internet, is a, it's a universe right now, in, in my opinion, and it's a growing universe. And I suspect that the groundwork is being laid with the Internet for it to be somewhere for consciousness to eventually inhabit. And I suspect that the place we call home now is a similar construct and we are creating devices and technologies that will create those windows and those interfaces for us to interact with them and I think coming back to my Gnostic stuff we have that 
hardware and that software in us, but there's either some kind of a signal that got weakened or something that happened that has limited our awareness of it, our memory of it, and our ability to access it. But science, what we call science today, is starting to prove what miracles used to be referred to back in the ancient times and magic and mysticism. We're starting to prove that stuff now and UFO lore and all that stuff. And I've covered this on multiple shows. So let's go back to this. Back in 1961, the Nobel Prize winning physicist Eugene Wigner outlined a thought experiment that demonstrated one of the lesser known paradoxes of quantum mechanics. The experiment shows how the strange nature of the universe allows two observers, say Wigner and Wigner's friend, to experience different realities. Since then, physicists have used Wigner's friend, that's in quotes, thought experiment to explore the nature of measurement and to argue over whether objective facts can exist. Can exist. That's important because scientists carry out experiments to establish objective facts. But if they experiment different or if they experience different realities, the argument goes, how can they agree on what these facts might be? That provide that's provided some entraining fodder for after-dinner conversation, but Wigner's thought experiment has never been more than that, just a thought experiment. Last year, however, physicists noticed that recent advances in quantum technologies have made it possible to reproduce the Wigner's friend test in a real experiment. In other words, it ought to be possible to create different realities and compare them in the lab to find out whether they can be reconciled. And today, Massimilio Peretti, a Heriot Watt University in Edinburgh and a few colleagues say they have performed this experiment for the first time. They've created different realities and compared them. Their conclusion is that Wigner was correct. These realities can be made irreconcilable so that it is impo impossible to agree on objective facts about an experiment. Wigner's original thought experiment is straightforward in principle. It begins with a, sign, a single polarized photon that, when measured, can have either a horizontal polarization or a vertical polarization. But before the measurement, according to the laws of quantum mechanics, the photon exists in both polariza polarization states at the same time, a so-called superposition. This is Schrodinger's cat. The cat is both dead and alive, infinite possibilities within the box. Wigner imagined a friend in a different lab measuring the state of this photon and storing the result. While Wigner observed from afar, Wigner has no information about his friend's measurement and so is forced to assume that the photon and the measurement of it I just lost my spot, uh, are in superposition of all possible outcomes of the experiment. Wigner can even perform an experiment to determine whether the superposition exists or not. This is the kind of interface experiment showing that the photon and the measurement are indeed in a superposition. From Wigner's point of view, this is a fact. The superposition exists, and this fact suggests that a measurement cannot have taken place. But this is in stark contrast to the point of view of the friend, who has indeed measured the photon's polarization and recorded it. The friend can even call Wigner and say that the measurement has been done, provided the outcome is not revealed. So the two realities are at odds with each other. This calls into question the objective status of the facts established by the two observers, says Proietti and co. That's the theory, but last year, Kaslav Brucker at University of Vienna in Austria came up with a way to recreate the Winger's friend experiment in a lab by means of techniques involving the entanglement of many particles at the same time. The breakthrough that Proietti and co. have made is to carry this out. 
In a state-of-the-art six-photon experiment, we realize this extended Winger's friend scenario, they say. They use these six entangled photons to create two alternate realities, one representing Wigner and one representing Wigner's friends. Wigner's friend measures the polarization of a photon and stores the result. Wigner then performs an interface measurement to determine if the measurement and the photon are in superposition. The experiment produces an unambiguous result. It turns out that both realities can coexist, even though they produce irreconcilable outcomes, just as Wigner predicted. This raises some fascinating questions that are forcing physicists to reconsider the nature of reality. The idea that observers can ultimately reconcile their measurements of some kind of fundamental reality is based on several assumptions. The first is that universal facts actually exist and that observers can agree on them. There are other assumptions too. One is that observers have the freedom to make whatever observations they want. And another is that the choices that one observer makes do not influence the choices other observers make, an assumption that physicists call locality. If there is an objective reality that everyone can agree on, then these assumptions all hold. But Perrieta and Co.'s results suggest that objective reality does not exist. In other words, the experiment suggests that one or more of the assumptions, the idea that there is a reality we can agree on, the idea that we have freedom of choice, or the idea of locality, must be wrong. Of course, there is another way out for those hanging in the conventional view of reality. This is there is some other loophole that the experimenters have overlooked. Indeed, physicists have tried to close loopholes in similar experiments for years, although they concede it may never be possible to close them all. All right, there's a little bit left in this. I'm going to save the link for you to read the last couple paragraphs in the show notes at sixcentsmedia.net and the secret newsletter. But this, this for me, calls the question. I, I shared um, an email that somebody had written me a few weeks back, and I think it touches exactly on that email, is that what if we're all existing within our own separate realities? We all have our own experiences. This is what's been weighing on me, man, for the last for the last two weeks. It's been brutal. We all exist in our own realities. And they don't always agree. But sometimes when my consciousness wants to interact with the consciousness of somebody else, which might be their own independent realities, we create a consensus reality where we agree on the rules of that reality, the facts of that reality. And maybe within this reality where you're listening to this podcast, everybody on the earth, 7 billion people, if there are that many conscious souls here, or 8 billion, whatever number we're at, 9 billion now, maybe we're all agreeing on this reality and we go interact in this reality together, but we actually have our own reality as well. That serves as a copy of that consensus reality. I feel like my worlds are shifting constantly. I did a show on this not too long ago. And maybe it's the choices we make at some unconscious level that dictates what's going to matter. Because my world's getting weirder and weirder, friends. And I feel like the deeper I go into this show, the more real the stuff I talk about seems to be getting. Either I'm going crazier and crazier this stuff's real or I'm creating it or maybe somebody's behind I don't know maybe it's not just me maybe you've heard me have this rant before but this this that I just read really speaks to that I think so you want to get weird let's talk about the Gnostics and the Nag Hammadi Library and this became big a few years back this was found in 1945 the Nag Hammadi Library what's interesting about the Nag Hammadi Library is that it was it was buried in some clay jars it was, these scrolls were buried uh, in some clay jars in Nag Hammadi, which is out near, it's the uh, city in Egypt. 
and the Gnostics were being exterminated. And the Gnostics held a worldview basically that um, that the God that everyone was worshiping was actually evil and it was a lie. It was a demiurge and it was manipulating mankind. And it was just a great deception. And their, their texts were demonized and destroyed and the Gnostics were, were killed. What gets me is that I was raised Catholic, and I promise I'm not demonizing, I'm not bad-mouthing religion to each his own. I don't judge you for it, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. It didn't work for me. I had too many questions that religion couldn't satisfy. Not that it couldn't answer, but it couldn't satisfy what I was looking for. And I started doing my own research and having my own experiences. And I started to draw my own conclusions. And after I, became, after I started making those conclusions, then I fell into Gnostic texts. And as I read those texts, I say to myself, holy shit. It's the same thing that I've been thinking and feeling for a long time now. So I came to these conclusions, and not everything that the Gnostics written have I come to that conclusion, but, but their thoughts fill in a lot of the gaps that are in my head. Like, oh, yes, that, it's a logical step for me. And I'm not saying it's correct. I'm saying it resonates with me. So I want to read from the Nag Hammadi Library, from the Gospel of Philip. And really, it's just a whole bunch of little paragraphs with many headings talking about different things that I think are very thought-provoking. Now, there are some of you out there who I'm sure, because I have a bunch of Daily Gnosis stuff that I put up on my YouTube channel a couple years ago, and uh, sometimes I encounter people who, who love it and say, this is insightful. Sometimes I encounter somebody who's way better read than me and says, I disagree with this. Um, so I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to read you these excerpts. Um, and, and draw your own conclusions. I'm not a Gnostic scholar, but these texts fit. What amazes me is that when you study reality, you study AI, you study multiple universes, uh, and you study religion, it, it all fits. That's what, that's what gets me with this. So uh, I'm going to look at one section. I'm going to jump around through, through this gospel here. This part's called Sowing and Reaping. Whoever sows in winter reaps in summer. Winter is the world. Summer is the other aeon, the eternal realm. Let's sow in the world to reap in summer. And for this reason, we should not pray in winter. From winter comes summer. If someone reaps in winter, the person will not really reap, but will pull out young plants. And such do not produce a crop. That person's field is barren not only now, but also on the Sabbath. All right, so whoever sows in winter reaps in summer. Whoever plants in the winter will harvest in the summer. Let's replace those words there. Winter is the world. Summer is the other aeon, the eternal realm. I, I Again, I'm, I'm making stretches here, but I'm coming back to the analogy that maybe we're living on a farm. 
and I think that's connected to this. What is being? What are they reaping here? Spirituality, souls, energy? I I don't know. Maybe it's just talking about spiritual development. Plant at the right time to develop yourself before you're able to reap the benefits. I I, I don't know. I, I look at this more as the harvest of souls, and and this talks about this a little bit more. The next section is called Christ Came. Christ came to purchase some, to save some, to redeem some. He purchased strangers and made them his own. And he brought back his own whom he had laid down of his own will as a deposit. Not only when he appeared did he lay the soul of his own will as a deposit, but from the beginning of the world he laid down the soul for the proper moment according to his will. Then he came forth to take it back since it had been laid down as a deposit. It had fallen into the hands of robbers and had been stolen, but he saved it, and he redeemed the good in the world and the bad. All right, so there we have the good and the bad were redeemed. Christ came to purchase some. Some what? Strangers? Souls? What does that say about Christ? I, I, I honestly... I'm looking at this from an energetic standpoint. You know, the previous section we talked about aeons, and aeons is a consciousness, but aeons also act basically like a virtual reality. And Christ, I I think, according to the Gnostics, I think that Christ was some form of an aeon. It's his own universe, his own self-aware universe. And through one of his emanations from within him, I'm not preaching here, I'm, I'm exploring. Let me make that clear distinction came Sophia who created our reality and I think that he descended within the reality that existed within him so he went into the universe that was so it's like us creating an AI and then going into that universe to save it to take some to 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 use it for whatever purpose we designed it for let's let's look at it that way for a minute all right next section Light and darkness, light and darkness, life and death, and right and left siblings of one another, and inseparable. For this reason, the good are not good, the bad are not bad, life is not life, and death is not death. Each will dissolve into its original nature, but what is superior to the world cannot be dissolved, for it is eternal. That's saying everything's connected. You know, I've said before to to the family dog, I'm a loving, caring member of the pack, but to the chickens, I'm this horrible, grotesque monster. All right, this one's interesting. Words and names. The names of worldly things are utterly deceptive, for they turn the heart from what is real to what is unreal. Whoever hears the word God thinks not of what is real, but rather what is unreal. So also with the words Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Life, Light, Resurrection, Church, and all the rest, people do not think of what is real, but of what is unreal. Though the words refer to what is real, the words that are heard belong to this this world. Do not be deceived. If words belong to the eternal realm, they would never be pronounced in this world, nor would they designate worldly things. They would refer to what is in the eternal realm. So the labels we give things basically don't capture what is real. This, then, is not real if this is the matrix. The question comes to begs to answer or begs the question, what is real? Here we go. Talk a little bit about the Archons. 
The rulers wanted to fool people since they saw that people have a kinship with what is truly good. They took the names of the good and assigned them to what is not good, to fool people with names and link the names to what is not good. So as if they are doing people a favor, they take names from what is not good and transfer them to good in their own way of thinking, for they wish to take free people and enslave them forever. Now, if you ever look at the English language, it's very confusing. And when you start to study Jordan Maxwell's work, he's got a, he d- dives deep into this the power that words have. Now here, it comes to what I was talking about earlier. The Gnostics believed that they were, had been people had been deceived by God. God is, is defined as this all-knowing, all-loving, creative being that made man his image. But in reality, the Gnostics saw God as this demiurge. But they take the words and label things that are, quote, bad as something good because then we believe it to be good even though it's bad for us. You see that in advertising all the time. All right, this one's called the forces. The forces that do favors for people. They do not want people to come to salvation, but they want their own existence to continue. For if people come to salvation, sacrifice will stop, and animals will not be offered up to the forces. In fact, those to whom sacrifices were made were animals. The animals were offered up alive, and after being offered, they died. But a human being was offered up to God dead, and the human being came alive. Now that hurts my head as do most of these to read. Um, but I want to focus on what these forces are. Now, there's a, there's a subtext here. It says, In Gnostic texts, the forces are among the rulers of this world. Here they are identified with the ancient gods and goddesses to whom sacrifices were made. Okay? So the forces would be the archons, the unseen, the rulers. Do those forces exist? They do favors for people. They do not want people to come to salvation, but they want their own existence to continue. So when I read that line, I think it scares me. Because a lot of us feel that we're being led. I feel that I've gotten downloads of information. I feel guided sometimes. Why am I being guided? What is it that's guiding me? Is it benevolent? Is it really trying to help me? Or is it trying to serve its own selfish agenda and it just happens to benefit me sometimes by me doing X, Y, Z? I I don't know, but that's something to think about. Here we go. The archons and the Holy Spirit. The rulers thought they did all they did by their own power and will, but the Holy Spirit was secretly accomplishing all through them by the Spirit's will. So again, you hear Holy Spirit and you think, oh, it's this great thing. You know, when I practice Reiki, I think, well, Reiki is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. But maybe the Holy Spirit has its own agenda. If that's this, if, if we're in a universe, in a universe, in a universe, in a universe, in a succession of aeons deep, and the Holy Spirit is the power that runs through all of that. It's the base reality, or a part of that base reality. It's going to be run, and it's running a program. It's going to do what it needs to do that may benefit us sometimes, it may not. It's working, and it's the same power that fuels the archons that also fuels us. 
I'm just I'm 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 skipping through this stuff. It, it's making my head hurt. This one's called the precious and the worthless. No one would hide something valuable and precious in a valuable container, but countless sums are commonly kept in a container worth only a cent. So it is with a, with the soul. It is something precious, and it's come to be in a worthless body. Well, that's not very comforting, is it? All right, here we're really getting to something. I want to share this part. Naked and not naked. Now, sometimes when they say naked, they don't mean you're in the nude. It's also a metaphor for ignorance. Keep that in mind. Some people are afraid they may arise from the dead naked, and so they want to arise in the flesh. They do not know that it is those who wear the flesh who are naked. Those who are able to take it off are not naked. And I think of Bob Monroe and Don Juan Mattis and Carlos Castaneda, out-of-body travelers. When they went into the out-of-body state, they were not ignorant. They knew, they held on to their identity, and they were able to traverse and navigate the other realms. As opposed to most of us, when we're in a dream state, we're ignorant of who we are and of our consciousness and of this reality. And we wake up in the flesh, we feel that that's when we're really awake, and we're not. Maybe this is when we're naked. Let me keep going. Flesh and blood will not inherit God's kingdom. What is this flesh that will not inherit? It is what we are wearing. And what is this flesh that will inherit? It is the flesh and blood of Jesus. Again, I'm coming back to Bob Monroe. I am more than just a physical body. For this reason, he said, Oh, who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood does not have life within. What does this mean? His flesh is the word and his blood is the Holy Spirit. Whoever has received these has food, drink, and clothing. Again, I think this, these are all metaphors. Maybe the word is some kind of, I'm thinking computer programming, coding. Does that sound crazy? And I also disagree with others who say that the flesh will not arise. Both views are wrong. You say the flesh will not arise. Tell me what will arise, so we may salute you. You say it is it is the spirit in the flesh and also the light in the flesh. But what is the flesh is the word, and what you are talking about is nothing other than flesh. It is necessary to arise in this sort of flesh since everything exists in it. In this word who wear clothes in this world, those who wear clothes are superior to the clothes. In heaven's kingdom, the clothes are superior to those who wear them. So in this world, the clothes are superior. I'm sorry. Those who wear the clothes are superior to the clothes. I'm going to... Those who are holding access to the universe are superior to that universe but in heaven's kingdom the clothes are superior to those who wear them so the aeon is superior to those who are inside the aeon who exist within it I don't know if that makes sense but that's kind of where I'm going with that I'm jumping around jumping around alright here's one <clears throat> Tame and wild animals. Some animals are tame, such as the bull, 
the donkey, and the like, while others are wild and live off in the wild. People plow fields with tame animals, and as a result, people are nourished together with animals, whether tame or wild. So as the perfect human plows with powers that are tame and prepares everything to come into being, thus the whole place has stability, good and evil, right and left. The Holy Spirit tends everything and rules over all the powers, whether tame or wild, running loose. For the Spirit is resolved to corral them, so they cannot escape, even if they wish." See, what's confusing about this is, I don't even know if good's the right term. It's important to understand the Holy Spirit, and I don't understand it. Sometimes I think I do, and then I read something like this, and I have no clue. But you've got these tame animals. They do what they're told. And it sounds like they're taken care of. People get nourished. But again, it comes back to this Holy Spirit. It's corralling them. So they can't escape it, even if they want to. Am I a tame animal or am I a wild animal? Does that Holy Spirit have me corralled? Does that mean I can't escape, even if I want to? Do I need to? Is escape possible? Are we able to get out of this matrix? Are we all prisoners? Oh, here's a good one. This one. Again, I'm skipping through this. This one's very concerning. Here's the heading to it. God is a man-eater. God is a man-eater. And so humans are sacrificed to him. Before humans were sacrificed, animals were sacrificed because those to whom they were sacrificed were not gods. So there you have it right there. God is a man-eater. Now, again, I'd refer to God as the Demiurge, Yaldabaoth, the head archon, if we're living in this loose farm. What's scary is that this is what the Gnostics talked about two, over 2,000 years ago. It's not a new concept. All right, back to, here's another one. Human beings and animals. The superiority of human beings is not apparent to the eye, but lies in what is hidden. Consequently, they are dominant over animals that are stronger than they are and greater in ways apparent and hidden. So animals survive, but when human beings leave them, animals kill and devour each other. Animals have eaten each other because they have found no other food. Now, however, they have food because humans till the ground. This, this, <clears throat> this brings me back again to the Louche farm that... By design, we eat each other. We produce suffering. We produce loose. But this gives me hope that maybe we can find a way to live where we don't have to kill and make things suffer. I don't know. I'm probably way off on this. If there's any Gnostic scholars out there, you're probably going to really rip into me uh, for, for butchering these texts. But I'm, I'm kind of just going through it and sharing it as I as I read this but here's another here's another good one this world eats corpses this world eats corpses and everything eaten in this world also dies truth eats life and no one nourished by truth will die jesus came from that realm and brought food from there and he gave life to all who wanted it that they might not die now i would say that again talking of aeons universes within universes within universes 
maybe we live on if we take that source code and go to the higher realms, the higher aeons. But otherwise, we're in a state of atrophy, and everything is slowly dying in this existence. All right, I think that was everything from here. Um, okay. This is interesting. Last thing I want to read, and I want to move to one more thing on the, the Archons. The root of evil. Let each of us also dig down after the root of evil within us and pull it out of our hearts from the root. It would be uprooted if we recognize it, but if we are ignorant of it, it takes root in us and produces fruit in our hearts. It dominates us. We are its slaves and it takes us captive so that we do not, so we do what we do, not want and do not do what we want. Let me read that again. It dominates us. We are its slaves and it takes us captive so that we do what we do, not want and do not do what we want. It is powerful because we do not recognize it. As long as it exists, it stays active. I think what this speaks to is be mindful. It's interesting that it goes to the heart too, the energetic, the energetic amplifier, the energetic transmitter of emotion and feeling. Lots to think about. I, I can't. Not enough that I can. I really should do a whole show on one paragraph at a time. Honestly. All right, so here we're talking about the uh, the Gnostic creation myths. It's, it's uh, the nature of the rulers or the hypostasis of the archons. It's how this section is also referred to. Uh, and, and Adam and Eve um, were tempted by the serpent to eat from the fruit, but the serpent was actually a, the spirit of Eve. Eve, the female spirit, came from Adam. Adam used to contain both male and female energies, and the archons removed the spirit woman from Adam. It came back in the form of the serpent as a teacher because the archons told mankind, if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you will surely die. But in reality, the tree of knowledge gifted mankind with the ability to know good and evil. It liberated him from his nakedness or from his state of ignorance. The serpent liberated mankind according to the Gnostic texts. So once the archons realized this, they were upset with Adam and his wife. The rulers turned to their Adam. They took him and cast him and his wife out of the garden. They have no blessing, for they are as under the curse. The rulers threw humanity into great confusion and a life of toil, so that their people might be preoccupied with things of the world and not have time to be occupied with the Holy Spirit. The, Nost the archons did not want mankind to know about the Holy Spirit because that is the source, I believe, of our power. For whatever reason, we have lost our understanding of this as if, as if a spell has been cast on us or a frequency or a signal has been put out there that has severed our connection to it. But we're starting to remember I really believe that many of us are starting to wake up. We're feeling that call. I don't know if that call is by design, if that call is a part of the system of control, but one of the theories I'm exploring or one of the ideas that I'm exploring, the hypotheses I have, is that that 
signal is growing stronger. There is an actual awakening. And the reason why this tech is coming out, the AI is coming online, the nanotech is coming online, to capture human consciousness is to, to bring us back another layer deep in the matrix because we are about to break free. I struggle to really accept and believe that because of how strong the system of control is. But maybe that's what they want us to believe. But then I come back to, I read last week, I am the wasp, I am the keeper of the garden. And what really freaked me out when my dad died was how powerless I was. And I thought about this world we live in. I don't think our life is any more valuable in the grand scheme of things than the lives of every other animal on this planet. Because in the eyes of a higher intelligence, something that may hold the seat that humanity holds over the, the animal life on this planet, we hold the same value that animals hold to whatever has power over us. If you've ever read account of an abduction, it's very belittling, it's very demeaning, it, it can be very intimidating and terrifying, as if we are nothing but lab rats to our experimenters, the scientists the creators. If that scenario is accurate, if that holds true, my fear when my father died was that we are truly powerless because what power do the pigs have at the slaughterhouse to prevent their own death and demise? How can the chickens in these horrible conditions stop their kin from being killed. They obviously don't have the intellectual capacity to understand what's being done to them to mount a resistance, a coordinated attack, and stop it from happening. But I had a thought today. I've been doing some reading and some research lately about indigo children who are the trailblazers crystalline children who are here to teach and rainbow children who are here to reconnect everybody with the earth and I wonder if maybe these animals do have power and their power was to call out spiritually to other souls willing to listen to come in to save them because we're seeing an increase in veganism and an increase in voices for these animals that have no voice in our society. And maybe that is their weapon or their defense. Maybe they aren't powerless. Maybe they called out to us. Maybe they called out to me. Maybe they called out to you. Did you hear their calls? Did you feel them? Did you ignore them? I still feel guilty every time I eat an animal product. I've been struggling for a while. If this world is as dark as it seems sometimes, can we contribute to the light? Think about the power a single match has in a dark room. Let's be that light, my friends.
All right. Enough of the heavy stuff. My head hurts. Your head hurts if you're still even listening to me babble tonight. I hope you found it useful. I, I, this that was a it's it's a tough read at least for for me, but I just felt I needed to share it. I hope it wasn't too dark. I hope it made some sense. I didn't sound like too much of an idiot. All right, my friends, be sure to check us out sixcentsmedia.net. Ray's got some affirmations up there. Uh, you need to go listen to some affirmations right now after my heaviness. Get some positivity back in your life. Check out our T-shirts. Click on the store tab at sixcentsmedia. .net. Our t-shirts are a great way to start the conversation, have some fun with them, and it supports the platform, supports the show, supports what we're doing here. More t-shirts will be coming online shortly. And uh, don't forget to check out the crypto viewing page, Patreon page, the website, and what the remote viewers are pulling out there. I'm proud to be a part of that team looking at the future of cryptocurrency. There's a big change coming, my friends. This is coming from some of the top viewers in the world. That's what they're feeding me with. Uh, I'm looking at the data. I'm concerned. Check out their content. My links are all throughout the, uh, the platform, the newsletters. Check it out. Let me know what you think. I'm out of time, my friends. This has been another episode of The Secret Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you.